Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. There are some interesting comments from MSG Network's Alan Hahn uh, following the NBA draft about how the Knicks, Alex, just didn't have quite enough uh, stuff, for lack of a better term, to make a credible offer to the Detroit Pistons to try and move up and get Jaden Ivey. Uh, I, I think we're going to talk about that because it, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, we'll get into what Hahn had to say. We'll get into our own evaluation of the Knicks versus other cores around the league though this will probably be a more surface level version compared to the deeper dive into the Knicks assets we usually do later on in the offseason and then we'll have a nice little segment from you and the Locked On Cavs guys talking about Colin Sexton as a potential free agency target for the Knicks to close the show so keep it locked we'll be right in on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks your daily New York Knicks podcast Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We're now available on all platforms, including on YouTube, and you know that if you're seeing our smiling faces right now, but hey, who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. And you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start throwing this in, Alex. A moderately successful pickup basketball player. Had a great run tonight. He's Alex Wolf, also uh, probably better than me. Fantastic pickup basketball player. More importantly, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there in the world. And we are getting into some comments from Alan Hahn that raised some eyebrows, but also, uh, as, as we'll get to, I think have a lot of validity. Yeah, so... Basically, Alan Hahn, you know, I'm just going to paraphrase him because there was there was a long clip. I didn't feel like transcribing the whole thing, to be completely honest. It basically boils down to he heard that the Knicks were, and I mean, this isn't surprising because it was heavily reported, but the Knicks were really, really, really trying to get up to pick four in the draft. And then after that pursuit failed and the Kings said, nah, forget it, we'll just take Keegan Murray. Then they were really, really, really trying to get us to pick five. And apparently neither the Kings nor the Pistons looked at the Knicks roster and, you know, assets that they had on hand and said, yeah, okay, there's a deal to be made here. They apparently were not uh, super enamored with what the Knicks had to offer. And then Han sort of made a comment too, saying like, you know, it's, it's easy for us that watch the Knicks all the time to see these guys and appreciate the, the little things with their game more. And, you know, value them a certain way because we're we're seeing them every day. You know, you get fan attachment and everything else. To these players like Emmanuel Quickly or Obi Toppin or what have you. We have to probably assume that R.J. Barrett was off the table entirely for any uh, trade up talks, because I would imagine that the Knicks were looking to pair Ivy with R.J. But, you know, all the rest of the young Corey is essentially like maybe they're not quite as valuable around the league as Knicks fans have them. Uh, And that would definitely include you and I at many points, because I know that we both have pretty high hopes for, for uh, Obi and IQ and even Quentin Grimes. And, you know, we see the 
potential in a guy like a Cam Reddish, at least uh, the potential in a guy like Jericho Sims, the potential in a guy like Deuce McBride, even if the statistical indicators were not fantastic for them this year. So I don't know. I, I don't know what to call it. I, you know, I, I don't think that Han, I, I feel like Hans Intel has to be good. He's generally pretty well connected. He also, at this point in his life, he's not really like a, um, like a newsbreaker in the sense of like being a beat reporter and that sort of thing. So if he says something, I feel like he usually feels quite confident in it um, to even, you know, really report it. I, I think he reported this on his ESPN radio show. Uh, but either way, you know, he, he mostly just does what we do on most days and just kind of talks about things uh, rather than, you know, breaking news. So I, I think it bears noting that if he's saying that, that it's, there, he probably has some pretty rock solid Intel on it. Uh, but Gavin, I, you know, that has sort of led us to think here going into this episode, like where do the Knicks rank in terms of, of, you know, viable rosters for trades, attractive rosters for trades uh, around the league. And, you know, apparently it's a little lower than we might've thought, or maybe both those teams just, I mean, maybe Sacramento is really, really enamored with Murray and maybe Detroit was really enamored with Ivy and they just wanted a really exorbitant package. And of course they're not going to say like, Oh my God, I love all your depth. All your players are amazing. Like, you know what? You don't have to throw an OB top in. Like, we'll just take like those two picks or whatever. Nobody's going to ever say that at a negotiating table. So the intel that's out there might just be from those teams or people close to those teams uh, that want to paint that picture. But either way, uh, it, it led us to this little thought exercise. So I'll throw it to you to kind of get us rolling with that. Yeah, neither of those front offices would ever let loose that they're in love with Ferran Hunt and, and would, have, would have just taken him straight up for the pick. But uh, yeah, yeah. So this, I, I ended up making this a little more inclusive. It's a little bit of a preview of people who are longtime fans of the podcast. Now I like to do an annual future rankings and, and this sort of led me down that road. And, and I just kind of got me thinking if we're trying to be as objective about this as possible, right? Because we're always, we are excited about the Knicks young players. And, and part of the issue is that we, we always, we always mention this, right? Is that we just don't know that much about a lot of them. We don't have a lot of data on what Emmanuel quickly is like as a starter against good competition. We don't have a lot of data on Obi Toppin as a starter. We, we know uh, this wasn't Tim's fault. This was because he got hurt, but we don't know anything about Quentin Grimes playing night after night after night, guarding the best wings in the league. Does his three point shot hold up, but he's played three games in four nights. We can't tell that yet. Maybe Maybe not. And in turn, the Knicks are sort of in flux in this capacity. But that being said, we do love these guys. But then I look around the NBA, and this is sort of what I was thinking about today. I was like, man, I'm I'm genuinely so enthusiastic about the Knicks' future. But I'd honestly, I'd be a little happier right now if I was a Pistons fan. I'd Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey be a little happier right now if I was a Cavs fan, right? I'd uh, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen, like three potential all-stars as soon as next year on my team and as excited as I am about the Knicks, maybe it's just a situation where the NBA as a whole is a little bit more talented than ever. And in turn, the Knicks have some really good talent, but when you actually look down the road and look at what they have compared to the rest of the league, it's not all that great. So I, I will, I will just give like an initial primer on, on where I had some teams and then I'll, I'll throw this back to you, Alex, and we can go back and forth. And maybe there are some teams that uh, you think I had either worse than the Knicks or similar to the Knicks that don't belong there. Or, you, or there are some teams that I don't mention that are way better that you disagree on. So um, situations worse than the Knicks. Uh, I, I had the Sacramento Kings. 
I think the top end talent with De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis is honestly like those two as players right now, probably better than any two players the Knicks have. I just don't see anything really coming up behind them. Um, depending on what you think of Keegan Murray, who again could be a much better prospect than someone like Obi Toppin or might turn out not to be. We will find out in short notice on that. Um, Davion Mitchell doesn't really do anything for me. And obviously with the Kings, like if you're comparing them to the, the Knicks, you just got to know that the market is so terrible. The ownership, e- even compared to New York, seems particularly bad. The front office, even compared to New York, seems particularly bad. So the Kings were lower. Uh, Charlotte, um, Lamelo special. Bridges is special. They got a couple other interesting pieces, but they just seem rudderless to me. The Wizards, probably the easiest team to put behind the Knicks. Just There's just no direction there at all. Similar with the Jazz, where they, again, they have two players just way, way better than anyone in the Knicks. They've had more success in the last five years than the Knicks have had in the last 20, so it feels weird putting them there. But I just think that's a ticking time bomb with Donovan Mitchell. And, and you could argue that Mitchell will just net them back so many assets in a trade. But they could be ahead of the Knicks. I'm open to being wrong on that one. The Spurs, uh, that one's more about the market. They have similar young talent to the Knicks. Um, and DeJounte Murray is kind of an R.J. Barrett equivalent to some extent, except a little bit over, maybe older, um, maybe a little bit less of a ceiling, though he is a guy who averaged a near triple-double this year, so what do I know? And then I had the Pacers, um, just because they'll never get a free agent, even though I love Tyrese Halliburton, and in a draft of everyone on both teams, I'd honestly probably take Halliburton first. They have some other interesting young pieces, but I don't really see the vision. Real quick, teams I had similar to the Knicks, the Bulls, the Lakers, the Magic, and Atlanta. Uh, Alex, what was your, what are, what are your initial thoughts on all that? Uh, I agree on, on some counts. I disagree on some others. I, I actually think Charlotte, I would have probably a little higher than the Knicks if it didn't look like they're sort of moving towards not retaining miles bridges right now. Um, and maybe also with PJ Washington, like, I don't know what the deal is going to be with those two guys, but it seems like as of right now, I mean, if, if you believe all the social media follows and all that crap, uh, that maybe they're not moving towards re-signing Miles Bridges, which seems like a huge mistake to me. Um, if they do that, obviously that that is a huge hit to the young talent that they have on the team. Uh, and that's going to make it basically like just LaMelo that you're looking at as like the the lead and pretty much only like young player of value on that team. So if they're smart and they retain Miles Bridges, I would put them maybe on equal footing, maybe even slightly above the Knicks. Um, I uh, totally just, just agree. Quick, very quick yeah. question. Would, would you take Lamelo over RJ going forward? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think I definitely would. Would you not? Yeah. No, I would. I, I would too. But I think it's I think it's close just because I think he's he just doesn't play defense and offensively, like even though he's unselfish, it's still like a little – I think RJ weirdly plays a more team-centric game. Like everything LaMelo does is sort of on his terms. And I just, I don't know what a team led by him looks like where I'm so confident in what a team led by RJ looks like, but LaMelo is LaMelo's just a better talent. So I would I would lean that direction. I mean, LaMelo, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he, he might need the ball in his hands to be successful, but they also had, it, it, he led a team that had three 20-point scores this year. And a couple other guys that were in double digits. I mean, to me, that says like, I mean, he's de- he was definitely sharing the ball quite a bit, um, you know, which of course leads to the high assist totals. I think he's a way better scorer than we thought he was going to be at this point already. Um, the defense is a fair concern, but also something that could be sort of hammered out over time. Or maybe his offensive impact is just so great that, you know, he 
doesn't really need to play that great of defense, as crazy as that is to say. We sort of saw that with RJ towards, you know, down the stretch of the season when he was really cooking on offense. Um, you know, he, he didn't necessarily have to play as hard on defense and all that stuff. Um, so I don't know. I guess we'll we'll see as far as that goes. But as of right now, I'm taking LaMelo over RJ, which I know is, you know, if you went back two years into our uh, into our draft uh, episode tapes, that it would be revealed that, you know, I was, I was very much like high on RJ in that LaMelo class, but LaMelo was like the only guy that I had on his footing in that class. And now I think I've, I would probably have him above him. And I, and I think rightfully so. He just had a, like a 27 and seven season in his second year in the league is like a 20 year old. So looking pretty good. Uh, but one thing that I would also take over another is rockauto.com over any chain auto parts store. And this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models. It's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why would you want to endure pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning about your car and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry? You guys have computers with rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. And you can save time and money when you use Rock Auto. Why would you want to spend 30%? 50% or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or ugh, a car dealership. For example, you could get a Honda Odyssey fuel pump for $353 from a chain store or just $216 from rockauto.com. Rock Auto is also a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and the prices are reliably low for every customer. They're not going to ding you just for being not a mechanic and wanting to fix your car. The whole idea is to save money, so of course you shouldn't have to pay more money than the people that are fixing your car, right? So go to rockauto.com right now and you can see all the parts available for your car or truck. If you decide to get something right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. All right, Gavin, and continuing to uh, break down this list here. Um, yeah, I think, I, I don't think I have to say too much more. Like the Jazz, I agree with you because no matter what success they've had, it looks like they're cruising for a bruising as far as having to trade off their two, uh, you know, best players that have led them to all that success. And they also are sitting right now with not having the guy that drafted those guys because he works for the Knicks now uh, in Walt Perrin. So maybe you can, you know, get a thunder load of picks for, you know, the, the guys that you have uh, on the team right now, but, I don't know if they're going to be able to knock it out of the park like that again. And I guess only time will tell uh, the Spurs, same deal. I, you know, that they're, they're kind of at a weird impasse right now where they've been sort of like the Knicks where they've been like bad, but not bad enough. And so they haven't really drafted any like top end talent and maybe somebody pops, maybe Josh Primo starts to look like a big time player or something like that. The Pacers, you know, I, I agree with you too. Uh, you know, I, I like Halliburton, but, Otherwise, they're just sort of this weird team in flux where they just can't make themselves commit to just being bad. And as a result, I, I think that they're going to still have these guys that have obviously middling value in like Miles Turner and Malcolm Brogdon. Otherwise, there's probably a decent chance that one or both of those guys would have gone on draft night or something uh, because, you know, they, they showed a willingness to fire sale a little bit if they could get a good return this past year. Um, but I'll let you throw out the teams out there that you think are similar to the Knicks. And I maybe got one or two more that I would add to the list as far as T 
teams that I would put on similar footing to the Knicks in my estimation. Yeah, so I, I mentioned them real quick earlier, but I'll go, I'll go into my reasoning a, a little bit more. Uh, the Chicago Bulls, uh, I would throw out um, more talent right now than the Knicks, but the ceiling just feels so capped for them. I mean, a little more interesting if obviously they're rumored to be in the in the market for Rudy Gobert or if that turns into who knows, like I, I don't know if this works from a cap perspective, but like a DeAndre Ayton um, would, would dr- drastically change my opinion of them. But it feels like the whole future of that team is, is very predicated on Patrick Williams becoming a star. And while he's he's looked good as a young player, we haven't really seen flashes of that. I mean, DeRozan, I don't think, is ever going to play as well as he did last season. And Levine, there are some injury concerns and there's some concerns that he may not even resign. The Lakers were a funny one to me, right? I, I really, I really just out of spite wanted to put them lower than the Knicks because obviously the Russell Westbrook situation is just such a such an abject disaster. And they have really no interesting young talent uh, on their team. And, and, and that combination is is bad. But they also have LeBron James. And they also have Anthony Davis. Of course, Bron might want out. Anthony Davis uh, had a weird and very bad by his standards years a season ago. But when you have those two guys and the Knicks have no one like those two guys, I still, I, I still would maybe put them just ever so slightly ahead of the Knicks, even though they don't have a first-round pick in a million years. Uh, you know what? I might, I might even scratch that. I might even, I think I take the next situation over the Lakers. Like they're not going to win the title next year, especially with this Kyrie stuff. All right. Uh, moving on the Orlando magic, um, terrible market should be noted, but the young talent is super duper interesting. I think there's a chance that Franz Wagner ends up being the best guy, a best young guy on either team, maybe the best guy period. Uh, Paolo Bancaro. Um, I would, I, I know, I know we were debating this um, earlier in the draft cycle. I would take him straight up over RJ right now, just because I think there's a higher ceiling at his height, um, even though he hasn't proven nearly what RJ has proven in the NBA. Um, and then the last team I had there were the Hawks. And that's just because I'm not a big fan of having Trey Young as your best player. But when I sit with that for a minute or two, I'll, I also fairly acknowledge like, hey, like it's still better to have Trey Young than not have Trey Young. And if he's your second or third guy, all of a sudden that team down, down the road gets really interesting. Plus they just took AJ Griffin, who I like in the draft, have some interesting young pieces. So Atlanta maybe would be slightly ahead of the Knicks at the end of the day. But th- those are the teams, Alex, I had in, in kind of the same stratosphere. Do you think, is there is there a case for any team that wasn't on either of my lists that you think is closer to the Knicks than maybe I'm, I'm giving them credit for? I do, actually. I think I think I would add, and they're all bottom-scraping teams, honestly. And, and so I would also add the Rockets to that list. Um, I would add the Pistons to that list. And I, I think those are the main ones. I would borderline put the Pistons or sorry, the Pistons, uh, the Pelicans on that list, um, mostly because it's it's like what have the players on their teams done? Um, like I actually honestly would maybe even and I know it's kind of ironic because they just got the, you know, the number one pick and everything and they were like actually bad. But I don't know. I feel like the magic, I feel a little more confident in some of their players even than like some of the guys on Detroit for example like I think that I think that Cade is a singular talent and all that and he's really great and he's going to lead a really good team at some point in his career but like we have talked about you know this year's draft if you take a step back from it objectively of course we talked ourselves super into these guys but like you know a guy like an Ivy might not have necessarily been a, a top five pick in a stronger draft, you know, or any of these top five guys might not necessarily have been top five in stronger drafts. This was universally considered to be like a somewhat 
week like star power draft. So if you believe that, then you know Detroit was already so bad. They add a couple of lottery picks from a consensus not as strong draft. How does that change their trajectory? You know what I mean? Like I would feel good if I was a Pistons fan. Don't get me wrong. And I would be hoping like oh Duran's a monster physically. Ivy is so fast. Like they are like perfect fits with Kate. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Detroit only won like. 26 or 27 games this year, even with the second year Cade Cunningham and, you know, all this like promising young talent. And I will say that's one thing that the Knicks young players have done. And granted, they've had a lot more like quality veteran, you know, support around them for better or worse, depending on how Tibbs decide to use them. But, you know, these Knicks like finished with a better record than most of these teams we mentioned here this year. Um, They just happened to miss the play in because the East was so much more, uh, competitive this year than in previous years, but they were, you know, they finished with a better record than the Pelicans, for example, who wound up making the playoffs just by virtue of the play and in the West. Like, I don't know, maybe the Knicks could have done that if if they had managed to make it into the play and we'll never know. Maybe they could have done that same thing in the Western Conference if they just got transplanted over there into that 10 seed. So I, I don't know. Um, I think that's my only pushback, but, you know, obviously you look at what could these teams accomplish in a trade? And I, I think that's where it starts to get a little more, a little more fuzzy because it's like, if the Knicks were motivated to move Julius Randle, I don't think he is, is a pure negative value at this point. Um, if, you know, they were motivated to move an RJ or, or quickly or Obi, I think that's where it starts getting a little iffy based off the Han report. So if the Knicks players are contributing to more winning on the floor, but, aren't valued as high because they're not playing big minutes, then, you know, yeah, maybe you could make the argument like, well, New Orleans has more assets on their team just because of the, of the fact that like, like Zion is just valued more around the league for being a 30 point per game scorer damn near in his second year in the time that he played or Brandon Ingram is a 20 something point per game scorer uh, and is super young still and is definitely worth something. Um, you know, so it's it that's where it gets a little hairy to me. Is if we're if we're talking about this as far as like best situations, I, I think the Knicks you could argue are are doing pretty good for themselves just based off win loss record and the fact that they have players that are improving that seem like if they get more playing time could be better. But from the perspective of, um, you know, if they were going to try to swing a big trade like what they just tried, then maybe that's where it gets to where those other teams are still ranked higher. Yeah, this this was a point that um uh, shout out to uh, Anthony D. He made on Twitter. I always always have good correspondence with him. Um, it's just it it kind of sucks. But so much of the NBA in, in terms of where you're at as a team and where you're at on the trade market is okay. Who like when it's all said and done, who's your number one asset? And I just think I mean the difference between the Knicks and like the teams you mentioned is the Knicks don't have a Kate Cunningham. Um, and it, with the Pelicans is a little bit more questionable, but. I, I personally would take Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram. I mean, despite all the everything going on with Zion, like over anyone on the Knicks, which uh, that could be a full episode of, of debate. So we don't have to get into it, but it's it just like, do you have that dude? And right now the Knicks, I think are still waiting on RJ to turn a corner or someone like IQ or Obi to, to shine in a completely unexpected way in big minutes, or maybe Quinn Grimes breaks out next year and averages something like 18 points per game and shoots 42% from three. The, the issue is always is we, we just we don't know yet. The, the one guy who's gotten the sample size is R.J. Barrett, and he's looked largely fantastic, but just still has to get 
more efficient to pull this off. But Alex, I, I don't want to delay any longer. We got to get into that big conversation um, with Chris Manning and Evan Damerell of Locked On Cavs on Colin Sexton and if the Knicks would or and or should have potential interest in Sexton if something goes wrong with the whole Jalen Brunson scenario. Uh, like the Knicks front office, we're all about contingency plans, so it's a fun conversation. Hope you guys tune in for it. But first, I want to tell you about BetOnline, BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores, and and MVP odds. That's right. BetOnline has MVP odds now for the 2022-2023 season. Uh, I'm scrolling through it real quick. I like Jason Tatum a little bit at 12-1, to 1, as sacrilegious as that is to say. Um, I kind of like Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns at 50 to one, just because the odds are so good. My, uh, my real crazy dark horse. Uh, I am throwing out Darius Garland, who is 66 to one. I just, I just love that dude as a player. And if Cleveland is really good out of nowhere, maybe, maybe there's a chance that he could, he could be sort of that classic winner. Who's not the best player in the NBA, but just has the best narrative. Anyways, bet online is fantastic. They're in the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we're thrilled now to bring in Gavin Shaw, one of the hosts of Locked on Knicks. Gavin, you were the only host. I'm going to be transparent about this. I reached out to some people individually. I reached out to, you know, our friends at Locked on Pacers, our friends at Locked on Thunder, some other folks. You were the one host of the network when I was like, hey, we need people to tell us who might be interested in Colin Sexton. You were like, yes, let's talk about this. So the Knicks have obviously been very linked to Jalen Brunson. There's Donovan Mitchell stuff out there. I mean, like, who knows what's going on with Kyrie Irving and if the Knicks will, will be involved there. That That's just another guy. So when – Considering all the Brunson stuff, considering everything else going on with the Knicks, why were you still like, yeah, this could still maybe be a Colin Sexton destination and a team that could throw money at him this summer? I think it's because the Knicks at this point have almost committed themselves to bringing in someone. I mean, the path they are pursuing became readily apparent on draft night where they uh, used a first round pick to move off of what was left of Kemba Walker's contract. And, and granted, they got next one back. So it was really more just like four second round picks. But the intent seems pretty obvious that they want to bring in a point guard this offseason. And despite the fact that he was very good down the stretch of the year, they don't necessarily see Emmanuel quickly as that guy that can start day one, game one. They don't see Derrick Rose coming off another major injuries, um, heading into from his early 30s, maybe a little closer to his mid 30s, as a guy who can be reliable game in, game out. And to be clear, Jalen Brunson is the obvious number one candidate there, right? They just hired his dad. Leon Rose, I believe, is, is quite literally his, his godfather and was, was and his dad's agent. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, yeah, I believe Leon Rose's son is now or is now Jalen Brunson's agent. So there's just all these, like, yeah. things. We're just like, huh, huh, wonder what their plan is. So seemingly, overwhelmingly likely that they have some intel based on the path that they've taken that Jalen Brunson wants to come to the Knicks or is very much leaning towards coming to the Knicks. And reports from guys like Mark Stein and Jake Fisher have confirmed that recently. But I think this conversation is still one worth having despite that because if they do miss out on Jalen Brunson and there does, at least as of a month ago, there seemed to still be a lot of confidence on the Dallas side that he wanted to come back then I think they need someone in that spot. And Colin Sexton, I think, to your point, is, is, is one of those candidates. 
So you you touched on them a little bit before, and like you said, the Knicks are kind of prime to make a move. It, it could be <laughs> a lot awkward if the Knicks do strike it on Jalen Brunson, but there is a good chance that he does stay with Dallas. I know, like you said, Mark Stein has reported that the Knicks are kind of clearing a path to sign Brunson and that he's also reported at the same time, him as in Stein, that the Mavericks are going to kind of put up a fight for it. But you mentioned Emmanuel quickly before. Do you have any concerns, just as a guy who watches the Knicks on a night-to-night basis, a guy who covers them 24-7, 365, of any possible overlap between Sexton and Quickly? Because Quickly could be part of the future plans for the Knicks, but if you sign Sexton to serious money, you could stunt his development a little bit. Yeah, so uh, the, Chris was actually helpful in this because he, he came on Locked on Knicks a couple of months back, and, uh, and and we had this conversation, and and he pushed me a little bit more in the direction of Colin Sexton is content to some extent, and, and let me know if this if you guys feel like this has changed at all, but to play as kind of a combo guard to not be the primary ball handler, and someone who has that sense of, I guess, being not only a willing passer, but can like get to a point where he's an expeditious passer and playing smart basketball. And I think that's all you need to play off of someone like Emmanuel quickly. It sounds weird to phrase it that way because obviously Sexton that's is fair. a far more accomplished player at this point in his career. But I think where quickly is really good is that he, he had, he's developing primary guard skills and that his ability to separate from his defender and break down a defense got dramatically better by the end of last year. And he was throwing passes that were just so far ahead of his rookie season in terms of making reads. I kind of like one or two help defenders away and, and manipulating defenses with his eyes. But I think him and Sexton would, would be fairly good together in the same way quickly and Brunson, at least offensively would be mm. pretty good together mm. in that both neither one is really a true point guard, but both of them have those elements. And I think would, um, it would be to their advantage that the other guy across the court could bend the defense and they were attacking a scramble defense instead of going up against a static one, play in, play out. So I don't necessarily see it that way. I think it's totally plausible, but I, I think it would more so be because the Knicks just don't seem to have a lot of faith in Emmanuel quickly in general than anything specific about Colin Sexton. That's fair. so yeah. So this leads me to I think the the crux of this. If we're if let's just say that the Knicks Brunson resigns with Dallas day one. They, th- he becomes a target for them, right? Cleveland, I, th- I feel very confident in saying, is not going to let him walk for nothing. That is the thing about this that I think could complicate his market a little bit just because he's a restricted free agent. A team could do... We haven't, we haven't seen in several years that Chandler Parsons to Dallas kind of really team, like player-friendly RFA contract. Like Those things have not quite worked that way in terms of trying to scare teams off that way. That obviously theoretically is an option, but we'll see. The other thing here is, like, if the Cavs wanted to do a sign-and-trade, I could see them pursuing that for the right price. I, th- I think that's not out of the question. I, I guess my question, Gavin, is what is the what is the Knicks offer for a sign-and-trade that actually you think gets Cleveland calling? Because I, I think it would have, just based on the Knicks roster, they don't have a need for Julius Randle. I don't think you're getting R.J. Barrett back, obviously. I don't. I think that that's not happening. Yeah. So are you getting a is, – is a bunch of picks enough? It, like is like are you asking for a toppin like what what is the price here that you would that maybe makes sense if they were going to go another because again i just i think at the end of the day even if cleveland doesn't plan on having context on this roster three years from now or something or they still maybe want to move from the future they're not letting him walk in the summer for nothing it doesn't make sense for where they're at or, or frankly it doesn't make sense from a team building perspective 
Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think from a Knicks perspective, what it would ideally be is getting off one of the veteran contracts that actually makes it feasible that they could afford Colin Sexton. And with Brunson, it's going to be interesting to see, assuming he does want to come to New York, whether they do that directly with Dallas and a sign and trade or there's a third party involved. And I think it would be kind of a similar situation with Cleveland where, but obviously a little bit trickier because to your point, Cleveland does have that trump card of saying we can match anything you give him. While with Dallas, Brunson's obviously unrestricted and they, they sort of have to play ball if Brunson wants to come to New York. But that being said, I think something along the lines of like one of like Nerland's Noel, Evan Fournier, Alec Burks, and then you're throwing into actually make that appealing to Cleveland. Um, maybe a Cam Reddish, you could maybe quote unquote appealing there. Um, and one or two of those protected first round picks. It, to me, it's just all about if the Knicks miss out on Brunson, which is who's obviously plan A at this point, maybe Kyrie Irving or DeJounte Murray might even be plan B and C. But if you get down to plan D, how desperate is this front office to remain competitive now? Because to me, that that's that that's the message that is getting screamed at me is that this Knicks team is dying to be a six, seven, or eight seed rather than missing the playoffs by a comfortable distance again. And I think that's where if, if you're Cleveland, I'd be pressing on that saying, Hey, we want a Quinn Grimes, we want an Emmanuel quickly, we want an Obi Toppin back in this deal. Personally, if I'm the New York Knicks, I'm I'm not really interested in that. I'm saying I, I want to give Emmanuel quickly a shot at being point guard and seeing what he can do. But if this is a front office desperate to make a splash, there's a world where Cleveland, I don't know, maybe you do get a Quentin Grimes and a first for Colin Sexton. Again, not something I would do, but I kind of question where this front office is at in terms of we want to stay in power. We want to just keep our jobs. Chris, let me flip this question to you real quick, just to bounce it off, Gavin, a little bit. Um, Would you accept Alec Burks, Cam Reddish, and possibly a future first if that if that's what the Knicks were offering because I, I think I'd be a little interested in that just because of the potential of Cam Reddish and how the no, Cavs kind of have a clear I'm, path to play I'm wing. Good. I'm good. I'm good. Are you sure? I'm good. Cam, yeah. Cam, Cam Reddish is like I like the potential and idea of Cam Reddish is great. You have to pay him as well. You're not like solving you're saving yourself any money by trading for Cam Reddish. Like that's part of this. Burks is like fine but like I don't like it's not like a massive, massive, I think, help for you. Like you already have Karis Levert. I don't think I need Karis Levert and Alec Burks. What is the future first? Is it like a good first or is it one of the bad firsts that they have in their stash? Right. Like well, one of the that bad deal. Firsts. Yeah. So like, what does that do? I'm getting Cam Reddish, who has some interesting things. I think the idea of Cam Reddish is better than the reality. Just like, honestly, just at that point, I'm just like matching the offer and saying, OK, we'll we'll have Colin Sexton. He provides the speed we need. With his scoring, I think, to, honestly, I think to some degree he is underrated as a scorer just based on how efficient he's been at his age. Like, they're, they're, that, that just, that just, that doesn't do a thing for me, honestly. That's fair. Yeah, can I, I, can I say something wondering. at you guys real quick? Sure. I mean, where where are you guys at in terms of your urgency to bring context? Because this, this is something Chris and I touched on, like, last time, and to Chris's point. 24 points per game, good efficiency, what was it, age 21 season? That's that's nothing yeah. nothing to scoff at. I know, I, the, I mean, Garland emerging is, like, potentially an all NBA guy in the next couple of years, like complicates that a little bit and, and, and gives you maybe some pause, but do you guys want Colin Sexton back ultimately? I mean, even to your point, if you get like sort of a moderate return like that. Yeah, I would. I think Kobe Altman kind of made it clear during um, Ochea Abaji's just press introduction that even though they drafted him and viewed him at Abaji as a shooting guard, there's no like skill overlap between him and Sexton. And like you said, he's a very efficient scorer, 21 to 24 points per game. I think he still needs to find himself a little bit in the new offensive dichotomy. The Cavs are just kind of running right now, but you don't really get many players like that, 
especially probably on a cheaper contract just because he's coming off that eight or a meniscal tear and he's been out for the entire season and the Cavs have a lot of ammunition to say that they were better with without him on the floor last year but they'd still like to have him but I think there's just clear times throughout the season last year when the Cavs bogged down offensively especially when their bench unit was out there and after they lost Ricky Rubio like you look at Colin Sexton at the end of the bench cheering on his teammates and coaching him up and you're like he should be out there and he'd probably be the spark this Cavs team needs offensively and also you probably would rather have him than Karis LeVert long term just because Again, give Levert the benefit of the doubt of training camp and getting an offseason to get healthy this year, but he was pretty bad for the Cavs last season. And if he continues to kind of stink it up, he's just a very moderate-sized expiring contract that you can maybe use as a trade chip at the deadline, and then you just kind of pencil Sexton in as your reserve two-guard or possibly starting two-guard, depending on Abaji's development. I would agree. I think I think if you're signing trading Colin Sexton... It is not for something that is it feels like a lateral move and that feels like what the Knicks offer would be. I'm aiming, even if I have to include other assets to do it, like DeJounte Murray. I don't think the Spurs really have interest at this point, but like that is the caliber of guy I think you're swinging for. I think you're swinging for something that is like not just an upgrade, maybe in terms of talent, but like fits really well. And it's like I look at like a Burks reddish kind of like a 21st round pick in like two years. Like that doesn't that doesn't like get me. That doesn't do anything for me. And if I'm and if I'm looking at Colin Sexton and you're betting on him, he's like one of the biggest holes of last season for Cleveland is that he got hurt before we kind of really got to see how that looked and have more data and film to kind of understand that. And and I think Cleveland has to kind of make the same educated guess there. You could talk yourself into his speed, his shooting if you can pump up that volume, um, stat kind of taking some of the workload off of Garland. You know, there, there's stuff you can talk yourself into that I would just rather run it with him match it like just sign him to a contract versus like a just blah amount of stuff like no fat like Alec Burks is like had a really nice post Cleveland run Cam Reddish like might be fine but it's just like he was kind of eh in Atlanta and then he didn't play for the Knicks when he got there that's weird and like that that package just in particular in my head is just like I'm I'm kind of good and I don't, I don't I think reasonably the Knicks would be like we don't want to do more than that we we top in is on his way up he's looked really good of late like RJ Barrett is obviously not going to be included in this trade like Quentin Grimes, like none of that does it for me. Just give me the guy I know is good versus stuff that might be good. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally reasonable. So, do you guys think this ultimately ends with Sexton back in Cleveland? All this being said, because I think I think we can just circle back to I mean, Chris, what you were saying right at the very beginning of this episode, right? You, you go around the league and like there just isn't an obvious team where it's like oh, like kind of what the Knicks were thinking about Mitchell Robinson with the Detroit Pistons before they drafted Jalen Durant. Oh Pistons, man, this team, Pistons, this team's going to Pistons might have been the one. Pistons might have yeah. been the one. They took Jay Divey, and like you don't need well, Jay Divey and Colin Sexton. You just don't. The Pistons would have been the one. I think the Wizards had some varying interest in him, but they took Johnny Davis. I think they, you look at the have, Pacers. They have, they have no the. They the, have Brad uh, Beal, but they, have, oh, they also have no money. Like this is the thing. They too. have no money. Yeah. But and then like the Pacers were an option too. I think the Knicks were always a team you could circle back to a little bit, and the Spurs are a team that has been reported to be interested in him. But at the end of the day, I think because of the draft, a lot of his market dried up, and there could be a team that just makes an offer out there that the Cavs can't match. And I don't think Cleveland's going to hold Colin hostage if they want him to let him test the waters free agency. I think they will. But I think ultimately he's going to end up circling back to the Cavs and it'll just come down to the negotiations between the organization and Rich Paul at that point. Yeah, and I, I would guess it's not going to drag out a long time. It doesn't seem no. to benefit anyone if this is going to drag out a long time because if like, like his market dries up, 
you just come back and do business. Um, and it goes, maybe there's a surprise here. Maybe there's something we're not seeing, but it feels more likely than not that he is back on some kind of contract. And we see how this looks in the fall. And maybe he'll uh, maybe he'll come to maybe he'll put on a show in in New York when he's when he's in, he'll get his he'll get his MSG performance and Nick fans will get mad or we'll we'll be like ah yes maybe they should have got him instead of like not. Well, into this, Gavin. Are they getting Jalen Brunson? If you were to bet today, if you were to bet on bet online today, would you bet they're getting Jalen Brunson? And say, well, that's the only place I'd bet, Chris. And and yeah, I think I, <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would bet that they're getting Jalen Brunson. Look, I mean, this front office—they've basically staked their jobs on the idea that they're getting Jalen Brunson. That sounds melodramatic, um, a little bit. That's an, but, that's an insane sentence to say. It's like, ah, right. yes, my job depends on like. Jalen Brunson. That's a wild. Like Jalen Brunson's great. He had a great play. That's they've an incredible just, sentence. They've just so. I mean, not even how he plays. Just the fact that he comes to New York because they've just so thoroughly telegraphed this whole season that that's their big move. And and the scary thing is, is like obvious to your point. Jalen Brunson is not a life changing move. Um, if you're if you're a Knicks fan, but he does represent a definitive upgrade at that spot. I mean, someone who who brings a stabilizing force. I think someone who could be really good for RJ Barrett. And I would be surprised at this point given all 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 the um all the little breadcrumbs we've gotten if he doesn't end up in new york and they, they've again where, where this Colin Sexton thing gets interesting is i think you're, you're going to see a desperate front office if they do not get Jalen brunson yeah that's where this could really open up i guess for the knicks and the Cavs, and we'll see where that kind of goes all right check out lockdown knicks lockdown Cavs. we're going to be back on thursday a uh, live show 6 p.m going to go 10 15 minutes live just react for agency have a full episode of on friday until then everyone be well thanks to gavin for coming